Hey y'all, my name is Eric. I'm the lead pastor at Emmanuel and Hookset. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast. Our goal is to be a blessing to everyone who listens as you continue on your journey of faith. It's also our hope that you'll be encouraged to find a church to belong to so you can plug into that congregation and bless others with the gifts and experiences that God has entrusted you with. Well, I hope this podcast is a blessing to you and encourages you to get out there and be the blessing. God bless. Luke chapter 10. I want you to turn your Bibles, turn your Bible. It's on the Bible app today. Um, have the sermons uh, notes on there. You can take notes if you're registered on the Bible app. Uh, it's called, the series that we're doing is called Let There, Let There Be Love. And we're going to start reading here in Luke chapter 10. I always recommend that you read around the passage that we're reading. Get the context. Go home. Understand things. And uh, he... Jesus is talking to this certain lawyer, and so let's take a look at what he says. And a certain lawyer stood, stood up and tested him. Now, Jesus is not sitting for the bar, okay? He is not going to be a lawyer, and this lawyer is not a lawyer in the same fashion that we think of lawyers. He's a religious lawyer. He's one that studies the law of Moses, right? He's, he's, he's that kind of lawyer, the law of God. And it's interesting because what he's about to do is he's about to test Jesus. So let me ask you the question. Is his, is his question a genuine question? No, he's testing him. He wants to get Jesus in trouble. He wants to twist Jesus' words. He wants to mess Jesus up. He wants to undermine the faith of others by questioning Jesus. Now, this ain't in my notes. Excuse me, this isn't in my notes. Uh, some of y'all got to be careful of the voices that you listen to. Paul the Apostle warned us about dealing with people who have what he referred to as foolish questions that gender strife. There's some questions they're just designed to create division, strife. They're designed to undermine. When I say undermine, you follow what I'm saying? They're designed to destroy or weaken the foundation of your faith. Be careful of who and what you listen to. This lawyer thought he was going to pull this fast one on Jesus, which is hilarious. Because he's a lawyer of the biblical law that Jesus wrote. I mean, think about it. The Holy Spirit, God the Father, Jesus, three in one, the Godhead, all involved in writing the Scripture through human instruments. So the lawyer is going to question the author of the law, and he's going to be schooled. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, what's written in the law? Smarty pants. Hey, can you shut off the chandeliers that are over the pits? Pat? <clears throat> and then he says this, which I thought was really interesting. What is your reading of the law? This is going to give him a chance for interpretation. So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, with all your strength and all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You've answered rightly. Do this and you will live. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your 
soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Well, that's kind of intense, don't you think? Here's the crux of the matter. The Bible teaches the clear way to salvation is what? Through the Lord Jesus Christ and keeping the law? Through the Lord Jesus Christ alone, right? So this is what some would refer to as as a contradiction? No, it's not. What Jesus is doing, and he often does this, he answers a question by asking a question. And then, the question that he asks and the answer that he pulls out of this guy reveals the weakness of this man's faith in his heart. It reveals his sin. So, when this man said, love the Lord your God with all your mind, all your soul, all your, everything, everything you got, and your neighbor as yourself, Essentially, what he was referring to is something that is impossible. It's impossible. So the the man, the lawyer that, that, that quoted this scripture from the Old Testament, he's closing his eyes as he's saying it to his inability to keep it. He feels like he's pretty good. He's a lawyer. He knows the Bible. He knows the scripture. Guys, churches are filled with people just like this. They're dotting their I's, they're crossing their T's, and they're checking their boxes, but they're blind to their own weakness and sin. So when Jesus asked him that question, he had the guy answer correctly, it's impossible to enter into eternal life. It's kingdom thinking. It's king. Listen, man. It's kingdom law for us to love God first, most, and best, and others as ourselves. That's kingdom law. After you're saved, you are to live by the power of the Holy Spirit to do that which is. It starts with an I and it ends with a possible. Is we are to do the impossible, guys. If you're living a Christian life and you're just doing what everybody else is doing and you're excusing yourself because, well, I'm only human. You are only living a half-life because you have available to you and I have available to me the Holy Spirit. And when we don't do the impossible, live impossible lives, guys, it's because we're, we're walking in sin because God gives us, Peter promised this, God through Peter promised us that we have everything we need that pertains to godliness and that will enable us to partake of the heavenly nature. That's what the Bible says. Now, we're not perfect. We know this, which is why We need Jesus. He says it's impossible to be justified by the law because no one can keep the law. Galatians chapter 2, verse 16, by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. The Bible also says this in Romans, for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk Not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Now, if the lawyer had been honest, which he was not, remember his question started out in a manipulative way to destroy people's faith in this new teacher that was coming up. If he was honest, he would have said this, Well, Master, I've sincerely tried to love God with all my heart, soul, and strength. 
with all of my mind and my neighbor as myself. But, and I know that that's the way to attain eternal life, but I, I can't do it. I can't do it. I've miserably failed. So, so now what? Now what? That's really what should have happened. If he was being sincere, he should have quoted Scripture and then looked at Jesus and said, this is impossible. What do I do now? No, no. <clears throat> Jesus now, he says this to, he says, he says um, and who is your neighbor? So this guy's pretty self-righteous. He's pretty full of himself. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so Jesus is going to put a fine point on this to drive home the absolute, unadulterated truth that this lawyer is an abject failure. Right? Are you following me? He's about to, he's about to rock this lawyer's world. So when you're going to have an argument about the law or about a book, make sure the person you're arguing with didn't write it. Who is my neighbor? But he wanting to justify, said to Jesus, justify himself, said to Jesus, well, who's my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Well, that's a good question, isn't it? And Jesus said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, fell in among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, departed, leaving him half dead. And now by chance, a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed over on the other side. How many of us are guilty of that? You see something? Welcome. Come on in. No? Okay. Could be the Holy Spirit coming in. Could be a demon coming in. I don't know. I think they're both here. Certain priests pass over on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, he came and looked. Came and looked. Huh. I think the priest and the Levite were going, I wonder if the thieves left anything of value. Nope, nothing there. And he passed over on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he didn't pass over on the other side. He went over to him, had compassion on him. And so he went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. He wasn't getting them drunk, guys. Sort of a medicinal thing, right? Cleansing the wounds, antiseptic. Uh, and set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii and he gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, when I come, I will repay you. There's so much theology right in that one verse. So which of these three was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves. Which one, guys? Come on. The Samaritan. And he said, the one who showed mercy on him. Notice he didn't say Samaritan. 
He said the one who showed... He didn't say Samaritan. He does not want to be a part of this false. He does not want to admit anything. And some of you that are new to the faith, you're new to Christianity, you're new to the Bible, you might be wondering what the heck is a Samaritan, what is a priest, and what is a Levite? And we're going to get into that. I'm going to start here. We're going to start with this. The thief. It has been postulated that the thief represents the worst of this world. This world's going to chew you up and spit you out. I would argue this. Some might even say the thief was the lawyer. I would argue this. I believe the thief represents Satan. The thief represents Satan. Why do I think the thief represents Satan? Because Jesus described Satan as a liar, a thief, and a murderer in John chapter 8, verse 44. In John chapter 10, he said the thief comes in to steal the sheep. Satan is the thief. The thief is not on your side. There are people that make light of Satan and they make light of hell and they're like, when I die, I don't want to go to heaven. Heaven's going to be bored. I want to go party in hell. They have, they're, well, they're, they're foolish. And they don't understand that Satan is a real person. He's an eternal angel who fell from heaven, took a third of the other angels with him, and he hates everything that has to do with God. And you, he hates the most. Second to God. And if he can destroy you, he will. Church, do you understand this, Christian? Do you, understand, do you fathom that you have an enemy who doesn't just want you to have a bad day? He doesn't just want you to... He's, listen, he's not there to just tempt you to watch a television program that you shouldn't watch. He is there to destroy you and to destroy the kingdom of God, to destroy the causes of God, and to corrupt the nature of God. That is sin. Sin is a perversion of all that is good. Remember last week we talked about that. That's why Satan tempts you to sin. He wants to destroy you. So that's the thief. The thief, I believe, and I think I have scriptural support, I believe the thief is Satan. This thief beat this man and left him for dead. Now, this happens all around the world. I found this on, on a news site. I hope it's not too, too graphic for you. But we're talking about real things here. That's how Satan wants to leave you. You guys that are married, he wants you divorced. He doesn't just want you to, he, listen, he doesn't just want you to divorce. He wants you destroyed through divorce. He wants you to look at that woman that you love because at one point you did, and he wants you now to hate her and vice versa. He wants the children to be destroyed. And listen, God can forgive divorce. And God can use people that have been divorced. But the enemy wants you divorced. He absolutely does. You Christian marriages, this is the, one of the biggest crises, I think, in the church. Is that Christians are not prioritizing their marriages. And if they are, they stay together, but they stay together miserably. 
And let me be clear, I don't sanction abuse and I don't sanction adultery and those are areas that I believe God gives concession for. But other than that, other than that, she's a, she's a wench, a jerk, he's a loser. Those aren't in the scriptures of reasons for divorce. Right? And the problem is, the problem is, kids are looking at the marriages of their parents and they're looking at the marriages of people they know in church. And they're seeing people that don't even like each other. And they're seeing people that demean each other and belittle each other. And they're saying, why would I want that? That's a travesty, guys. So if you're married today, Satan wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy your marriage and he wants to make it a, a blight on the land. Again, and I know there's divorced people in my sanctuary and people that I love dearly and people that have legitimate reasons for their divorce. This is in no way, shape, or form a guilt trip. It's a warning to those of y'all that are married to attend to your marriage. And if there is not joy in the house, y'all need to work on it. Because your marriage is a living representation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Read Ephesians chapter 5. Your marriage is a representation of Jesus and the church. That's all. That's not in my notes. Get out of there. So, the state of the world around us today is this man, beaten, unconscious of the danger that he's in, left for dead. The world without Jesus is this man. The lawyer was in this state. He was unable to keep the law, but he was also unable to see that he wasn't able to keep the law. He was ignorant of his danger. And that's what the world is right now. They don't know that without Jesus, they are going to die in their sin and be separated from God for eternity. And there are no second chances on the other side of the grave. This man was on the side of the road and he was dying and he could not help himself. He, guys, notice the theology. This guy could not save himself. He was not going to pick himself up off the side of the road and stumble down the road and get into that inn and pay for his medical expenses he was going to die. He was half dead. Now, here's the deal. Those of you that don't know Christ yet, let me explain something. You're a trichotomy. You're a physical body, right? You're a soul. Your soul is kind of your personality, who you are. And then there's the spirit, and your spirit is dead. Before you come to Christ, your spirit is dead. How do I know this? The scripture teaches it. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, but God has made you alive and he has given you a living spirit. When you come to Jesus for salvation, you don't just get forgiveness of your sin. You get a resurrected spirit that died the day Adam took the fruit of the knowledge of the, from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In that day, the spirit of mankind died. So we're born with a soul, we're born with a body, and we're born with a dead spirit. That's the man on the side of the road, half dead, you might say, two-thirds dead. He's half dead. 
That's the world. They don't understand the condition that they're in. They do not have a direct connection to God. Okay, you follow me? You with me now? So this guy, this lawyer, he was the beaten one in the story, actually. And um, he still doesn't see it. But the Scriptures reveal his motive and his attitude. First, he tested Christ, trying to trip him up. Second, he quoted a passage that he couldn't keep, right? But he knew what it said. And third, he tried to justify himself and his inability to keep the law by asking for application in order to find a loophole. You follow guy? This, is, this guy was brilliant. He sounds like a lawyer today. He wanted a loophole. Well, who's my neighbor? He wanted Jesus to narrow things down. My neighbor is the guy that lives to the right and left of me to cross the street. That's my neighbor. Won't you be my neighbor? He wanted a loophole. He wanted to be easy. He wanted, he wanted a Jesus, right? He wanted Jesus to give him something that he could point to tangibly to say, oh, well, okay, I do love my neighbor. Instead, Jesus punched him between the eyes. Who is your neighbor? Told him the story. So we get to the priest. So by the way, there's no loopholes. There's no loopholes in the law of God. The only way to heaven, to eternal life, is through Jesus Christ, who, listen now, he is not a loophole. He is the fulfillment of the law. Jesus didn't come to abolish the law. He came to complete the law and establish the new covenant. So, the priest, let's see if my slides aren't messed up. Something happened. The priest represents religion. Hey, brother, can you click it to the one that says priest? The priest represents religion. Dead ceremonial religion. Dead ceremonial religion. Um, has anybody ever experienced that? How many of you guys love religion? Raise your hand. Nobody's raising their hand. I'm in the middle of trying to figure out where all my notes went. Yeah, so awesome. It's all cool, guys. I got it up here. The priest... I, I got saved. I started coming to Emmanuel. My, my wife dragged me here when I was 16. I made fun of her. I hated church. I hated church music. I hated everything. But I, I didn't hate God yet. And I was raised in church. And I was raised to know Jesus. But I was also raised in religion. Don't do this. Don't do that. Can't do this. Can't do that. Right? You follow me? And so I quit church. I was working at Kmart on South Willow Street, and there was this adorable, beautiful little lady, four, ten and a half, working behind a service desk. And it was almost love at first sight. I was like right there. But I was asking her for advice on how to date another girl. <laughs> so I was like almost. That was our first big fight when I called her Chris instead of Trish. And that didn't go well. Anyways, um, she dragged me to Emmanuel, and I thought Emmanuel was going to be religion, more of the boring, dead, dry religion. And it was the opposite. It was Pastor Z. And it was real. And it was dealing with real-life things. And it wasn't just mad philosophies and man's ideas and holier-than-thou and all of this kind of garbage. It was absolutely awesome. And... Um, I, I still didn't know what I wanted to believe about this. And, 
it took a long time for me to finally trust in Christ and, and to get my heart right. And, and, um, <clears throat> but I was raised as the priest. Ceremonial, boring, powerless religion. Right? He's, uh, uh, Paul said it best. You have a semblance of godliness, but you lack the power thereof. That's what Paul said. So we get to this place, <clears throat> excuse me, where the next slide will show, I want to say Levite. Yeah, I told you, I knew it. I just got to find it in other notes here. <clears throat> so we get the, Le- the Levite. Now, what does the Levite represent? My jeans? Is that why I wore jeans today? No, these are Lees. I used to wear Levi's, but the Levite is legalism. The Levite is the law. Right? The Levite represents do this, do that. Not just ceremonialism, but this restrictive life. This you're never going to be good enough. You can't do enough to please God. The Levite represents legalism. And I've lived through legalism. Paul said this. He was inspired by God when he wrote the, the, the book of 2 Corinthians. And he said this, the letter of the law kills, but the Spirit gives life. Why does the Spirit give life? Because He translates that law right to our hearts. And it becomes part of us instead of just something we're trying to keep. It becomes something that's protecting us and guiding us and directing us. And David got this. David in the Old Testament, he said the law was a delight to his lips. He loved the law. The law does not condemn the believer. The law guides and directs the believer. The law is a joy to the believer. And then we have the Samaritan. The Samaritan. This is the hero of the story. Would you argue with it? Is that arguably correct? This is the hero of the story? Who do you think this represents? Jesus. You want to look for the hero in the story, I want you to always think this. Jesus first. Jesus first. Jesus is the hero of the story. Listen to what he said in in Luke chapter 4. He binds up the brokenhearted guys and he sets at liberty... Those that have been captive. That's Jesus. He is the Samaritan of the story. He is the hero of the story. He comes along and he is despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows. That's what the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 53. And I asked Angel to sing that song this morning because I want us to understand who the Samaritan was to the Jews. The Samaritan to the Jews was someone that they were racist against. Anyone ever met a racist? I despise that. See, I'm a northerner and we won. Um, It doesn't make sense to me. But in this civilization, in this culture, the Jews had no problem looking down their noses at Samaritans. They were half-breeds. They weren't fully Jew. Uh, they, they had their own place to worship, and the Jews knew that their place of worship was not the one sanctioned by God. You had to come to Jerusalem. Right? So when, when they would look at a Samaritan, they would see a half a person. Are you following me? So this was, this was the Samaritan. The Samaritan comes along. Now this, this lawyer... Very likely a Levite. Jesus, when Jesus said the Samaritan came, bound up his wounds, 
cleaned him up, put him on his animal, brought him to the hostel or the whatever, the inn, uh, and paid for his stay and for his care and promised to pay whatever else was needed. The lawyer listening to this was like, I would rather die. I would rather die on the side of the road than let that filthy, disgusting creature touch me. That's, that's a Samaritan, guys. That's a Samaritan. That's who rescued the Jew on the side of the road. We believe he's a Jew because he came from Jerusalem to Jericho. So Jesus now, he says, he says, love your neighbor as yourself, which is the next slide, isn't it? Oh, I have a different set of notes, brother. I don't know. Let there be love. Love your neighbor. I have no idea what's coming up next. What's coming up next? What's the next slide say? He has no idea either. Oh, there it is. Back. Go back. Quick. Let there be love. Love your neighbor. You never know what's going to happen at Emmanuel, guys. Love your neighbor as yourself. So when he says this, now remember, the Jewish guy would probably much rather be left for dead find a way, like he's going to be the hero of his own story. He's going to be the guy in the movies who gets a living crap kicked out of him. He's half dead. He crawls up the side of the road and he, he makes his way to a hospital and he finally gets himself fixed up and then he goes after the guys that beat him up, right? That's who this lawyer was going to be. He was going to be Liam Neeson, right? I mean, he was going to be the guy. He was going to be Rocky. He was going to fix himself. But I think he was shocked when Jesus said, who was the neighbor to the man on the side of the road? And you could tell because he said the one that, the one that had mercy on him. He didn't say the Samaritan. He said the one that had mercy on him. He didn't want to admit that the Samaritan was the neighbor. The Samaritan was despised, was disgusting, was dirty. The Samaritan smelled the Samaritan was dumb, not capable of proper intellectual thought. The Samaritan was dirty religiously. And so Jesus said, who's the neighbor? And the Samaritan said, and the, and the lawyer said, the one that had mercy. So now we get on to this. <clears throat> Practical application. Whoosh. The reality is this. Without God, we cannot keep the law. But the reality is this we will if we are truly saved one evidence of our salvation is that we will love our neighbor that's one evidence friends you can say oh i'm a christian i'm, I'm a christian i'm a christian i'm a christian but if there's no impossibility in your life and there's no love of neighbor that's a piece of evidence that is missing from your life Jesus doesn't mince words. We're saved by grace through faith, that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. But that's not the end of the matter. There's requisite proof that we have indeed been redeemed. There has to be something in there that is impossible. In this case, he points out one of those proofs. You've got to love your neighbor as 
yourself. So, practical application. Which one, which one are you? Which one are you in this story? Are you the priest? Are you the Levite? Are you the beaten one on the ground? Are you the Samaritan, the hero of the story? Which one are you? As Christians who are empowered by Christ, we follow in His steps and become the hero of the story as He works through us. The motto of Emmanuel Baptist Church, the motto of Emmanuel is, bless God, bless others, be the blessing. The motto is more than just a motto. It's more than just words. It's taken from 1 John chapter 4, which says that we are to love like Jesus loved. It's taken directly from the Scripture. Which one are you? Are you the priest? Are you a dead religious person? Who you just come to church or you watch online to fulfill your religious obligation? Or do you know Jesus? Is He real to you? Have you had an experience with Christ where you recognized you were a sinner before the Holy God and you cried out to Jesus as the only singular source of your salvation? Or are you trying to fix yourself? Are you the Levite trying to fix yourself? Super legalistic. You have a set of moral codes and you are like a robot. And the problem is, You don't even keep your own moral codes, but you bury your failure. You refuse to think about it, and you're miserable because you know you don't measure up. Which one are you? I hope you're the beaten guy on the side of the road that came to a place where Jesus rescued you. You need rescue. I need rescue. So as believers, we are to have a unique kind of love. We're not supposed to just have the kind of love that the world has. We're supposed to have a unique kind of love. We're supposed to have the kind of love that is second level kind of love. But the sad part about it is those that call themselves believers don't. They don't. They march against all sorts of things. Hey, God bless you. You want to march? March. There was a, there was a homosexual man down in Florida. And there was this march against homosexuals. And he saw that they were outside in a hot Florida sun. And he grabbed a case of water bottles and he brought them down and he gave the water to these people that were marching against him. This guy doesn't have Christ, but he's, listen, he sure is reflecting him a a lot better than the people that were calling him names. So if somebody without Christ can, can go to that level of compassion... That's pretty, yeah. Preach it. Who's watching the video in the service? (laughs) Raise your hand so we can make fun of you. Lord, where was I? Thank you. So, I should know. I just heard myself. I think God interjected a little humor just so I could give you a right hook. Because I want you to sit there and think for a second. Someone who is despised by these people with their little picket signs displaying such hate, God hates fags and all this kind of stuff. Someone who does not even have 
the gift of the Holy Spirit went down and gave them a bottle of water. And he doesn't even have the power of Christ. Y'all sit here and make these excuses. I've been hurt. This, that, or the other. You that are believers, hear the Word of God. You are without excuse. You are human. We are going to fail. Can I get an amen on that? How about an oh me? But when we fail, as believers, we recognize our failure. We come to Christ for forgiveness, but we don't just leave it there. We seek not to fail again by the power of the Holy Spirit of God and the grace that He has poured out on us. So if someone without Christ could show such love, we'll call that second level love, Christian, that behooves you to go and one-up Him. Does it not? If someone without the Spirit can show such love, shouldn't we that have Him be able to show greater love? Our love as believers is to, listen, it's supposed to be something that the world cannot understand. It is unique. We love those others abandoned. We love those who are detestable and that cannot help themselves. And I'm going to take it a step further. I have no idea where I am in my notes. I'm going to take it a step further. We love though, we love though, we love those that detest us. That is biblical Jesus kind of love. We don't just love the detestable. We love the ones that detest us. You say, Pastor, where did you get that from? I have no idea. My notes are gone. No, I have some notes. They're just not synced. So, the Samaritan was despised by the beaten and broken man on the side of the road because he was Jewish. Remember? But the despised one did what? What did he do? Oh, I love you, man really care about you right here let me know when you get better we'll have coffee no he did something that cost him greatly he picked someone up that he knew hated him cleaned his wounds up put him on his donkey took him to the inn paid for the night stay and stayed with him and nursed him back to health the best he could while he was there, and then went to the innkeeper and said, let him stay as long as he needs to, and I'm going to be coming back around, and when I get back around, I'll pay for whatever he has rung up for a bill. I mean, if he's watching movies on you know, the TV, whatever, if he goes to the mini bar, I mean, I'll pay for whatever he rings up on this bill. Christian, this is, don't miss this, man. You are a spirit-filled person, but you're also a, a fleshly person who is going to fail. And when Jesus saved you, he bound up your wounds and he cleaned you up and he brought you to the innkeeper. He made this promise. 
whatever else is needful, I'm going to pay it off. He didn't leave the guy to pay for his own sins. That's why I said, you guys, don't miss the theology. It's so amazing. So we are to love those. Oh, there's a slide for that. Nice. I was like on my game. We're going to love those who despise us. I mean, I wish I knew what the notes were that go with that. Um, I even kind of wish I knew what my next thing was. Oh, so, thank you. Is there a walk across the street slide? Oh, nice. This is like interactive preaching, guys. This is so fun. Maybe I should have practiced. So I'm going to give you an example of how crappy Christians can be. I have a friend, his name is Chad Phillips. Some of you know Chad. He was a missionary to Cambodia. When we did, uh, actually he's one of the first missionaries we took on when I started to pastor. And we were building that playground out back and it was our anniversary for church. We did this big missions conference and Chad came out and helped spread the sand that's out there on a Saturday morning. We're spreading sand and raking it out and Chad was there and Chris Way was there and Scott Newton was there and we just had a ball, right? And um, <coughs> Chad was back in the States and he's, he's, going, uh, he's going reporting to different churches about, hey, what, this is what God's doing in Cambodia, blah, 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 blah. And he has, he's asked to go to dinner with this pastor, this bigwig pastor, which should tell you something right away, right? So this pastor, he's full of himself, which should tell you something right away. So he goes to have dinner with this pastor. This pastor starts to grill him, starts to, you know what this pastor started doing? He started doing to Chad what the lawyer was doing to Jesus. He started, <coughs> excuse me, testing Chad. For a very specific purpose. He wanted to catch Chad as a liberal Christian so he could correct him because he was the right one and he was the good one and he was the real pastor and I have authority over you. And they started talking about a man named John Rollins. Now, I don't know John Rollins. I know about John Rollins. He was instrumental in the... In the um, Beginning of the independent Baptist movement, John Rollins. And he had, a, he had, a, he had an organization that he founded in his name that, that uh, financed different ministries around the country. In fact, I think Camp Manasseh, when we went up to Camp Manasseh back in 1990-whatever with our teen group, you were in Manasseh, right? And uh, Rollins was part of the funding for that camp, okay? He, he uh, good dude. But I'm sure, like everybody else, he had his issues, right? So the ironic thing to this, I was talking to Trish about this. (laughs) They're having lunch, and this guy said, John Rollins. I don't know if Chad mentioned him or another guy mentioned him. John Rollins? John Rollins? Let me tell you something, Chad. If I was walking down the street, and I looked across the street, and I saw John Rollins on the ground on fire, I wouldn't cross the street to spit on him. That's a Baptist, independent, independent, fundamental, King James only, skirts on women, coats on men, Baptist preacher. I wouldn't cross the street to spit on him if he was on fire. And I'm sitting there with Chad like, this movement is dead 
And you all might realize we pulled out of that movement probably not long after that. I was outside with a chisel, scraping fundamental independent off our sign. Because that's what it began to stand for. Meanness, a lack of love, a lack of grace, a lack of mercy. Standing against the standing, instead of standing for. The irony is, I think iron is the correct word, here is a preacher of the Word of God who has probably preached on this passage of Scripture saying that I would not cross the street to spit on him if he was on fire and Jesus said the priest and the Levite saw the guy on fire and would not cross the street to spit on them. They walked over on the other side. You follow what I'm saying? He detested the one that was different. Oh, guys, don't get caught up in this stuff. Some of you all get caught up in your religiosity. You get caught up in your morals and you're, you're so holier than thou and you're so politically right and they're so politically left. And Guys, don't get caught up in that. We are to love our neighbor. Who is my neighbor? My neighbor's the one that's not like me. My neighbor, y'all Patriot fans, my neighbor is a Bills fan. Love me. Come on. You know you want to. You know you need to. Don't be jealous. I know what it's like to be despised, like the Samaritan. I'm, I'm, I'm making light, but Folks, do you see? Do you see? Jesus looked at this man and he said, who is the neighbor? And he said, the one that had mercy on him. He didn't even want to say the name Samaritan. And so the other question is, well, who are you supposed to love? We are to love, I don't know what the last slides will see, those who despise us. Hey, all thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to know more, please go to our website, emmanuelhooksit.com, where you'll find helpful links and resources and where you can contact us directly. That web address again is emmanuelhooksit.com. Bless God, get out there, and be the blessing.